Hebrews 11, 4 through 6. So if you will stand with me as we read the word of God. Hebrews 11, 4 through 6. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death and was not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was, commanded, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Y'all can have a seat. All right. Thank you, Haley. Um, all right. Well, hey, my name is Josh Gardner. I'm the minister of students here at Flourishing Grace. Um, and yeah, if you didn't flip your Bible, if you did not flip your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11, go ahead and do that, because um, we're going to be diving into this passage this morning. Um, like I said, my name is Josh Gardner. I'm, I'm the minister to students here at Flourishing Grace. Um, and so um, I said this in the first one. I usually have some sort of joke about how I hang out with students, but I didn't come up with one, and I still don't have one. So, but I hang out with students all week, and it's a blast, because I myself am a child. So... Um, but I'm excited to get into this uh, with you this morning. Um, and we're kind of picking off, uh, picking back up off where Austin Glenn left us last week. Um, and so uh, we are going to be um, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses, uh, I'm sorry, 11, verses 4 through 6. But I want to reread um, verse 1 for us and kind of recap a couple things as we get into it, because I think it's really important. Because the writer of Hebrews is going to, um, is going to give us, uh, here's what faith is. And then today we're going to talk about what a like, actual picture of real Christian faith looks like. Um, and so uh, Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the, the conviction of things not not seen. And last week, Austin talked about how everyone has faith. Whether you're religious or not, uh, you have faith in something. And some, thing, some things we have faith in are, are small, right? So you had faith this morning when you sat down in your chair that it would hold you up, right? You've probably heard that before. Like you saw the chair, you went, yeah, that's going to hold me up, and you sat down. Now, if it fell through, next time you went to go sit in a chair, you'd probably like check it to make sure, right? Um, but we also have faith in things like some of you crazy people have faith in the rides at Lagoon holding you in, right? Like the bars and the belts are going to hold you in. Um, I know I'm going to get flack for that one, but it's okay. Um, some of us, uh, or we all, have faith in certain people in our lives, right? We say, hey, I trust this person to, that they're going to do what they said they're going to do, and so, so I trust them, right? And we even have faith in ourselves sometimes, Right? Like you can think of faith in just the skill that you have, that you have maybe f uh, formulated in your life, and so you know, I can do this. Right? So you have faith in the fact that you have that skill. You can think of the Olympics right now. Right? All these people are there, they're confident, they're like, I've made it here and I'm going to get gold. Right? And so we have these moments constantly of faith in these small things. But also, faith operates in a, a much larger uh, area as well. Like when we think about really deep things that we don't, especially in our world, like to think about, like 
things about what's going to happen when we die, right? Or, like, if at the end of my life I'll look back and be fulfilled by how my life was spent and lived. We have faith in something or someone in that area. And so this morning, as we look at Cain and Abel, I want us to kind of have this question in the back of our minds, and then we're going to come back to it at the end. And the question is this, is my faith the kind of faith that is rewarded in the end or not? Is my faith the kind that is rewarded or not? And here's why this question is so pivotal in this point, because when we see Cain and Abel, they both offered something before God. But only one of them was accepted, and the other one was rejected. And so we have to ask the question, why? Why is it that one is accepted and one is rejected, and which one of those camps am I actually sitting in? Am I like Cain or am I like Abel? And so this morning, what I want to do is I really just want to compare and contrast Cain. And I want to look at, okay, how are they similar and how are they different? How are they similar and how are they different? And so to do that, what we need to do is we need to go back to Genesis chapter 4. Because um, the writer of Hebrews isn't pulling this out of his hat like he has it. Um, this, is, this is scripture that these people would know really well. Remember, he's speaking to um, the basically Jews who had become followers of Jesus in Rome. They're, they're kind of being persecuted. They're about to be really persecuted. And he's telling them, no, 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 trust in Jesus. Trust in what God has said, right? And so he's bringing back a memory of a story that they have probably heard their entire lives. Because we're going back to Genesis chapter 4, and it's really what has happened so far in history is that God created everything, including Adam and Eve, Right, then Adam and Eve choose to disobey God and cause the whole world to go into turmoil and brokenness. And then, here is where our third story is of Cain and Abel being born and what happens in here. So they would know this really well, and I want us to know it really well as well. So, if you haven't turned there yet, uh, turn over to Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It'll also be up on the screen for us. It says this, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought an offering, uh, I'm sorry, brought to the Lord an offering of fruit of the, of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock. Um, and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, you, uh, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? 
And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. So the writer of Hebrews here is referring back to this story, this passage that they they would have known really, really well. So here's what I do. I want to look and see how are Cain and Abel in this the same? How are they similar? Because they're really actually very similar to each other. And the first similarity I want to point out to you is that both Cain and Abel had the same knowledge of God. Both Cain and Abel had the same knowledge of God. Last week, uh, Austin talked about how there's like three building blocks of faith, right? There's knowledge, agreement, and commitment, right? So knowledge being that like what you know of that object of faith that you put in, like what, so what we know about God, his holiness, and what he's done for us on the cross in Jesus, right? Agreement is saying, okay, I actually agree that the knowledge is true, right? That that's real, and that I need that thing, and then the commitment is actually taking step forward and, and kind of lining up your knowledge and agreement and basically putting your money where your mouth is and saying, yeah, I, I agree with this. I have faith in this. And see, what we see in this story is that Cain and Abel both grew up um, together learning the same things in the same household, right? I mean, Adam, uh, it was Adam and Eve, and then they bore Cain and Abel. So they were person three and four on the earth here, right? And I, I don't know about you, but like when, when I was growing up, when my family got together, uh, and with people or even just with ourselves, uh, we would always end up kind of at the end of the day or the end of the night or the end of the hangout telling stories, right? And I remember my parents uh, telling just all these stories over and over again. As friends would come over throughout the years, I would hear the same stories over and over again, especially from my dad. And, and I kind of boiled it down to this, that those stories were either just like really funny or my dad thought they were funny, right? Which most of them were, I'll give him credit. They were really funny. And so he'd just tell them. And like, we would all, I could like mimic exactly what he was going to say. And then, like, it's like all there, right? Because he would tell it over and over again and get a huge laugh. But then the other stories were really more important and more serious. They were, they were stories that really shaped my parents' lives. Like, they were stories about my, my parents growing up in their childhood and how that kind of affected how they were a functioning adult or a non-functioning adult, right? Um, they uh, would tell me story, uh, the story all the time about how they met. Both my parents worked at Six Flags over Texas on different rides, and I know that story. It's like memorized, it's like on my brain, it's in my heart, the story of how my parents met, what they said to each other, how that all, uh, the awkwardness was at the beginning when they're both 17-year-olds. Like, I remember that clearly. I also remember stories like my parents telling me about how they became followers of Jesus, because they told that story over and over again. I remember especially my mom's story, because my mom grew up as like a hardcore, just like anti, there is no God atheist for 20 plus years of her life. And then in her early 20s, she uh, believed in Jesus and she would tell the story about how God throughout her entire life, starting at like age eight, like just showed her the gospel over and over and over and over again. And all those stories are like built into me. They're on my mind, they're on my heart. And in this, we have to see, we have to imagine here that Cain and Abel are hearing these stories from their parents. Like there's nothing, there's no one else. They're the only four. It sounds kind of nice sometimes, right, to be the only four people. 
Okay, no? Cool, fine. Uh, but that's, uh, and so they're hearing these stories, and I can imagine, like, Cain or Abel, like, uh, man, falling and breaking their arm. And Adam and Eve are just like, oh, man, like, it used to not be like this. Like, there used to be no pain. Like, I can imagine them sitting down with their boys and saying, look, boys, at a time, in the beginning, like, God created everything perfect. And there was no sin. There was no, like, there was no pain. Like, that pain you feel from falling, that wasn't there. The hard work that we have to work the grounds and the animals to be able to live, that wasn't there. That in the beginning, everything was perfect, and we had everything we needed, and God actually gave us dominion over the entire garden, and it was beautiful and perfect. God actually made us for each other. Like, God actually walked with us in the garden. God actually, like, gave us dominion over where we actually were able to uh, name the animals, it was perfect and good and right. We had a relationship with God. And we were designed to reflect God's image to the world. And it was perfect. And I can imagine Cain and Abel saying, yeah, it sounds great, but what happened then? Because this is terrible. <laughs> I, I see the pain. I see suffering. And then they tell the story, right, of Genesis 3. Well, God gave us dominion over everything, but then one day, walking in the garden, we met a serpent, and he told us, he actually lied to us and said, no, 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 uh, God told you you could have everything except for that one tree in the midst of the garden, and that's actually for your good that you don't have it, but God's really lying to you. Like, God actually knows that if you eat of that fruit, that that will actually make you like him. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want that at all. And so we believed the serpent, and we took of the fruit because we saw it was good, and we saw, man, I could be like God, so I'm going to take it. I don't need God. And that right as we took a bite, in that very instant, we realized the shame that we had just committed. Our disobedience against God revealed to us that we were actually naked, we're naked before each other, naked before God, shit in shame. And so we tried to sew fig leaves together to cover ourselves up, hoping that work, we hear God walking through the garden, and we try to cover ourselves up, but it didn't work. And so now life is hard, and there's pain, and there's suffering, and one day we will die, and one day you will die because of our disobedience, because we have sinned against a holy and perfect God. And so God removed us from the garden. He said, you can't be here. Because I'm holy and perfect, and you're not. But then, I can also see Adam and Eve saying, but wait, there's actually hope. Because when we read in the fall that God actually brings about a promise in that moment where he says, look, one day I will bring about a savior. I'll bring about a savior who will come from man. He will crush the head of the serpent and restore all things to be made new. Like how it used to be in the garden, I will do that within you. And then God even like kind of assures his promise by saying, look, these fig leaves are not going to work. And he takes them off and he actually kills innocent animals and he places them on Adam and Eve and says, look, this will work. This will actually um, sustain you. This will actually help you. Your clothing that you try to put on yourself is not going to work, but I can clothe you. And so... 
Cain and Abel are hearing this story. Hearing this story over and over again from their parents. I can even hear like in it my, like my dad telling these stories and there would always be this type of warning. And he'd tell a story about how he had pursued certain things or done certain things and he would look to me and say, Josh, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. So both Cain and Abel had this knowledge of God. And we both know that they have this knowledge of God, or we know that they both have this knowledge of God because of how they approach God, really. Like they both approach God not in themselves, right? The, the second thing we see is that both Cain and Abel brought a sacrifice to God. They both brought a sacrifice before God. Why did they do that? Well, they both knew in themselves that God is perfect and holy. They learned that. And they also knew that I am not. That I can't just come to the table before God on my own. Like, I'm not good enough. I don't have enough within me. I am not like God at all. God is a completely other than me. He's from everlasting to everlasting, and I am finite. And we even know this to today. When we think about God, when we approach God, right, we can't just approach him how we are. We must bring something to the table. And even if you don't believe, uh, even if you don't believe in God, you kind of believe this about yourself, especially when you interact with other people. Because we also believe this, that we can't approach other people just with ourselves. As I was doing, just like studying for uh, kind of preaching this passage, I, I came across uh, Dr. Timothy Keller. He uh, just has some really amazing things to say about this, especially about this idea that we and ourselves know in ourselves that we're not good enough. Um, and I want to read this, read this quote to you because I think he says it so much better than I, than I could. And so it'll be up on the screen. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so it says, why is it you're ready to go out on a date and you dress in the outfit you expect to dress? But, you're fran but you get frantic. Why? Because when uh, you look in the mirror, this outfit shows the world what you actually look like. We're all to this or to that or this part of our body. Our clothes are ways of controlling what people see. As soon as we say, oh gosh, it makes me look as heavy as I am or as skinny as I am or as bad as I am, we go bananas when we go into any social situation, the thing that most petrifies us is the idea that people will completely see who we are. We have to control what people see. We have to control what people see. Here, Timothy Keller is saying, look, like, this is, this is like built into us now because of sin. That when we walk before anybody, we're always putting up a front. Right? Like, if you're honest with yourself, let's, let's just all be honest this moment. Can we do that? Right? And I see this in students every single week. Like, students coming in, like, ah, oh, yeah, like, dressed in the nicest shoes that they have, dressed in everything that they can. And they're trying to either impress people or they're trying to impress their peers. They're not trying to impress me. Let's be real. Right? And we do this, too. We don't grow up from this. <laughs> students do it. Kids do it. Adults do it. Man, we do it our entire lives. And we know in ourselves that we have, to, we have to change how people perceive us because we in ourselves, if I just woke up 
in the morning, got straight out of bed and didn't put anything on, didn't do anything else to myself and walked uh, out into, like, into the church, into the office, like I would be ashamed of myself. We know this. And what's interesting is like this feeling in us is, is not actually that far off. We're not, we're not actually wrong. Because the reality is we, we aren't enough. I mean, especially before God, we, we aren't good enough to stand before a perfect and holy God. It's, it's not possible. It's not possible at all. And so what did Cain and Abel do? They both brought an offering saying, uh, we need something, so here's the offering. And some of you would say, okay, well, this is it right here, the, the offering. That's where it's different. Because one of them brought fruit and one of them brought a lamb. So, okay, there's where it's different, Josh. Like, it's because one of them brought, like, something with maybe uh, a living thing with blood and the other one brought just, like, fruit, like, loose fruit on the, on the ground, right? But no, they both approached God really with the same physical sacrifice in the sense of this, that, that Cain was a worker of the field. So he brought the goods of what he had dominion over. And, and Abel brought the goods of his field, which was the flock, right? And so he brought the best of what he could from there to God. And so if it's not because of what they knew about God, if it's not um, because of their, of their sacrifice and what their sacrifice was, then what is it? Why is it that Abel was accepted and Cain wasn't? Is God just mean? Is God just a tyrant? No. Not at all. When we start to look at how that they are different, how they are different, we see this. That the difference between Cain and Abel is that Abel came to God in faith in God. Abel came to God with faith in God. And, and the writer of Hebrews is kind of giving us commentary on this because the reality is in Genesis 4, uh, we don't necessarily see that specifically right there. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, Abel came before God with an offering and a sacrifice of faith and trust in what God had said. Because Abel, as he's approaching God, he approaches God in a way of remembering what his parents had said about God, knowing that God is perfect, knowing that he is not at all, knowing that he's not worthy of being in the presence of God and places on the altar an offering that says, God, I cannot do it but I know that you can. I know that your promise says that you are gonna bring about a savior, that you are gonna bring about someone who will save us from this. Save me from my sin, that you are gonna do that. And I saw my parents, every time they tried to do it on their own, every time they tried to bring something to the table and thought, man, what I have is so good and God's gonna love this, it failed, miserably. And so Abel walks in, humble, saying, God, you are good. I am not good. You are worthy. I am not worthy. Abel right here embodies all of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. He knew that God was good. He knew that what God said was true, and he trusted that God would do the work that God would bring about his promise however he saw fit, and that honestly God didn't need Abel to do it. He didn't. Cain, on the other hand, 
Here's the difference. is Cain sacrificed to God with trust in himself. Cain sacrificed to God with trust in himself. We see this in Genesis chapter 4, right? Um, he came with a heart full of pride, a heart where he saw his work as good and something for God to be pleased with and something that really that God even needed. But then God says, no, rejects it. And the way we know that Cain sees his offering in this way is because of how he responds, right? If he had approached God in faith, he wouldn't have responded in this way. We see that he responds in anger. He actually lashes out and kills his brother because he's so jealous that God chose Abel over him. He thinks, man, I worked really hard for this. I did a lot for this, but you chose Abel? You must be crazy, God. Timothy Keller says this really well, too, uh, a really, a really well about this. It says something really good about this as well, um, and it's going to be up on the screen. It says this. This is what Cain was doing. Cain comes in. We understand what Cain is doing. He says, look, look at me. Look what I do. Look at my accomplishment. Look at my work. Look at what a good person I am. Look at how hard I work. You'd be better. Uh, you'd better favor me. It's only fair. Abel comes in and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. See, one is the Pharisee and one is the publican. One went home justified that day. So really the difference here is not in their knowledge, it's not in their offering, that's in how they approach God. Abel approached God with nothing of himself, trusted fully in what God was doing. In that moment even, Abel approaches God placing Jesus on his altar. Like, no, he doesn't know that Jesus is going to be the promised side. He doesn't even know, uh, like, who that's going to be or when that's going to happen. But he, in that moment, literally places Jesus and says, no, 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 you are going to do this work. You are going to be the one that saves. I can't do anything to help you. I'm not worthy. So I just come to you with nothing. And I know that you'll restore everything. Here's the reality. It's absolutely no different for the, the people in Hebrews in this time, 2,000 years ago. And it's absolutely no different for us now. Like I said earlier, we either are Cain or Abel in front of God. Right? There's no standing on the fence. There's no, maybe I'm a little bit of this and maybe I'm a little bit of that. No, no, no. See, in the end, you are either accepted or rejected by God. And the writer of Hebrews is, is clear here that it is by faith. It's by faith in Jesus, by faith in what God has done and God himself that Abel was accepted, justified, saved. So here's what I want to do. You're either Cain or Abel. I want to help you try to see maybe where you're at. Because if you're, if you're Cain, you might think things like this. I must achieve something so that God can accept me. I must go to church more or pray more or give enough money or do enough ritual things. And then one day, hopefully, God will accept me. 
And this even applies if you don't believe in God. <laughs> we, we approach life in this way. If I work hard enough, if I work really hard and I'm successful, then one day I will be self-satisfied in everything because of my hard work. If I accumulate enough money and stuff, then I'll be happy. If I get rid of all my anxieties and all the people in my life with, with bad vibes, then I will have peace. This is a Cain mentality. The Cains would say, I must, I must, I must, I will, I will, I will. When I do, when I do, when I do, then this will happen. I will make it come about. I will do the work and it will be done. And that, again, that applies whether you believe in God or not. But the writer of Hebrews here is clear that this is not going to work and that it doesn't please God. Our works do not please God. But Abel's, on the other hand, Abel's already know that they're not good enough. Abel's throw themselves at the mercy of God. Abel's come humbly to God, and they actually repent of their self-righteousness. That Abel's would come before God and say, God, I even tried to work really hard and do all these things and make it look good. Like I dressed up for you, God, so that you would see that I was acceptable, and I realized that all of that doesn't work. It's fig leaves, and it's not going to work. And so you have to dress me. You have to give me acceptance. You have to give me a God. And they trust in what God has done for them on the cross. And Abel looks and sees the perfection of God and sees the sinfulness of themselves and sees, man, God should want nothing to do with me. But I also see that God made a promise and that he loves me so much that he sent his own son, Jesus, down. 100% God, 100% man, lived my life, like the same life that I have, but he lived it perfectly was tempted like I'm tempted, went through the same things that I went through, and yet he never sinned, not once, because he's God. But then God places him up on the cross and bounds up my wrath that I deserve for my sin, and he places it on Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus takes my sin fully, fully takes all of it on him, and then dies, raises from the dead, showing that he's defeated death, defeated my sin, defeated my wrath and shame. And Abel stand there and say, I can do nothing, but Jesus has done everything. Jesus has done everything. There was that question that um, Josh kind of posed a couple weeks ago, um, which I got posed when I was in college as well, but it's it's that kind of theoretical question that's never going to happen, but it's if God was sitting right here in front of you and he asked, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? And, and Abel's would sit there and they would say, you shouldn't. I have nothing in myself that is desirable, but you love me and Jesus died for me. And so Jesus, in that moment, when I believe that he has done that, he hands over his righteousness to me. He he takes on my said, God, you actually look at Jesus as though he lived my life and that I lived his life. Even though that's not true, you took the pain, you took the penalty for me. 
Abel was walking knowing the grace and the mercy of God. And so that means for Abel's that Abel's can rest fully in God. Like Abel's can actually rest in the love and, and knowing that they are adopted and have been brought in and belong to the God who's created all things and who cares for them. Why? Why, do they, why can they rest in that? Why do they know that without a shadow of a doubt? Because their adoption, that belonging, that care was not earned by them. And so there's no risk of losing it. If I earn something, I can lose it. But they look at it and say, no, no, no. It was not earned by me. It was bought with a price. A price that was way too large for me to ever pay, for me to ever even try to pay. Jesus paid it. And I was bought. And so I can rest in that knowing, knowing that God loves me, knowing that he cares for me, knowing that his grace and mercy are on me, and that he actually wants to walk with me, have a relationship with me, and he's accepted me. So I want to bring us back to that question I asked at the beginning. The question that I, re I really do want you to ask yourself, and I know it's hard. I know it's really hard. But the question I want to ask yourself is, is my faith the kind of faith that is rewarded or not? Or you could also put it this way, will I be accepted? And the reality is, the truth is if you identify with Cain, then you won't be. Your faith in yourself is misplaced. You can never please God, just like the writer of Hebrews says here. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So my plea to you is, is stop spinning your wheels like, stop trying to do all of these things that God would look at you and smile. Because reality is Jesus has done the work that you are not capable of doing. It's not in you. It's not in you. It's not in me. And believe in what Jesus has done. Read. The, don't, take my, don't take me for it. Like, read the Bible and see. Like, if you read the New Testament, if you read the Old Testament, we can see clearly who God is and what he's done for us. And believe in Jesus, not in yourself. Find a rest in him. And then for you, Abel's, answer the question, you will be rewarded because of what Jesus has done. You have the reward of walking with God the rest of your life and into eternity. Be with him. You can take refuge in him. Now, for you, Abel, that doesn't mean that you just kind of sit, kick up your feet the rest of your life and go, I could do whatever I want because God's died for me. But it means that we can actually rest so deeply in what Jesus has done for us that we don't have to chase the things of the world. That the things of the world actually start to look like things that the world would say, fame and fortune is what you need. Popularity, that's what you need. Once you get that, you'll be satisfied. Or what religion tells us, right? If you do all these right things, if you pay the right amount of money and the right higher-up person tells you that you're in, then you're in. You don't have to, those things fall. And they, they're worth nothing. We rest in Jesus. 
we begin to actually see that our friendships and our jobs and our neighborhoods and our whole state begin, begin to see that in the light of what Christ has done for us. So my call to you, Abel's, is rest in Jesus. So much rest that you would devote the rest of your life to him. Not because you're waiting for God to smile at you, but because God is already smiling at you and he already looks at you and says, I love you and I've cared for you and I, you know that because I sent my son for you. And that you have so much security in what Jesus has said over you, that your identity is so much found in who Jesus has declared you to be that you can leave everything else behind. So that's, that's my prayer for you. So I want, I want to pray for you, and then I want you to respond, whether that's prayer, whether that's, whether that's singing praises to God in a minute here. Respond how you see fit. God, we thank you. I thank you that so early on in Scripture, we see, God, that it, it's not by us that anything can be achieved. Our hard work, our good works, even our like filthy rags before you, is your perfect 